the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're welcoming Keely Hawes to our sets once again as the Bodyguard star returns for the BBC's Mrs. Wilson. Jamie Dornan makes a similarly triumphant return to telly for the first time since the fall in 19th century Ireland set drama, Death and Nightingales. And we'll be watching Jim Carrey have a nervous breakdown in the middle of our living rooms. <laughs> just kidding. No, it's literally, it's literally just kidding. The show, which is, which is, which is coming over <laughs> to the UK, having been screened on Showtime in the US in the summer. So, so that's, that makes uh, it sound like it's called Just Kidding. No, it's just called just it's, kidding. it's Kidding. It's Just, yeah. just Kidding. Just, just, saying. Just, kidding. just saying. Just saying. It's called Kidding, not Just, just kidding. 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 I am James Dyer, and you have once again walked headfirst into our hour of telly rumination as I and my long-suffering companions attempt to sort through the Morrison's pick and mix of small screen entertainment, picking out those horrid little fake smarties and the fizzy little red ribbon things that give you scrunchy face and leave you with only the mouth-watering goodness of vampire teeth, foamy mushrooms and the unparalleled glory of a girthsome strawberry cable. Helping me in this task once again are my two wingmen, or wing people, I should say. First up, the podcast's classic cola bottle. Sometimes serious, occasionally fizzy, but always reliable. It's Boyd Hilton. Ah, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Do you see yourself as a, as a sort of classic uh, chewy cola bottle? I like a classic cola bottle, yeah. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. Next, we have Pilot's American Hard Gum. She's hard, chewy, and almost impossible to get through quickly. It's Terry White. I don't know what any of that means, but you came this close to being a sour blue bonbon, but I thought I might get fired. Ooh. I mean, part of it sounds really... <laughs> Sexual, <laughs> so I definitely don't know how I feel about that. Slightly, good. slightly titillated and slightly horrified. Um, you're being really weird this morning. It's very yeah. early. You're it's making early loads start. of effort. <laughs> it's not that early. This is a normal time. It's, excuse me, I've come in especially. I caught an earlier train. Oh, Everybody, it's nine thirty-eight on Thursday, it's, which in journalism land is pretty really much early. the middle of the night. But it's twenty-four hours <laughs> earlier than we normally record, oh, okay. so it's, it's a day early. Well, I think technically 36 hours. Huh? Oh, yeah, that's 28 true. 28 hours. Okay, that's true, because we rarely do it first thing in the morning. Okay, well, now that we've got the uh, chronology out of the way, let's talk about what we're watching this week. I'm going to go first and say, <laughs> <laughs> because really, funnily enough, really, you're only here to hear me talk. The Haunting of Hill House. Oh. Captain Late to oh. the Party is finally here. I am now halfway through the penultimate episode, and oh my fucking God, is it good. Yes, it's it is. so good. Yes. I'm obsessed with it. I mean, Absolutely some of us said this it. months ago, but well, it's fine. See, the thing, it's the thing is, boy, like you were sitting there, and Julia was sitting there, and she oh, yeah. is on any given day more credible than you are. Oh, don't and give me so that. she pissed on your chips, and I just assumed they were just yeah. pissed. You, see, you were so happy about the chips pissing <laughs> and her like dissing my views. It's true. You, you thought it was so thrilling yeah. that a, another person, a grown critic, yeah. a proper critic, yeah. by the going stuff, was was having a go at my views. That you ignore the fact that, oh, you should actually maybe watch the programme yourself. I know. And it turns out the programme is brilliant. Julia, I mean, we love you, but you're wrong. And it is one of the greatest um, series of this year, I feel. And I know you said that on Twitter yeah. last night. And I, and I think it is fantastic. Now, I'm, one thing I would say is, because Terry was talking about it last week as well, mm. is have have you watched the finale yet? The final no, no, so I'm half of the no. penultimate right. one. Well, what so I'm no going to say is opinions differ okay. wildly. Oh, okay. It's a big thing, the final episode. Now, we shouldn't talk about plot because there will be a I'm lot of people no, who haven't it. seen this. But yeah. I will say, episode six, which oh, is yeah. the, the equivalent of the kind of Daredevil episode five mm-hmm. with the with the oneers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Extraordinary television. Incredible. Is it, Absolutely extraordinary. Is this actually the first pilot TV podcast where you start by recommending something that people should watch or talk about something <laughs> yes. you've actually watched? Yeah. 
Yeah. Are you yeah. turning over a new leaf? I'm going to say make the most of this now and not later in the podcast because it's all going to go to shit <laughs> later on. However, at this point, not only have I seen this, I also think it's amazing and I'm really happy and enthusiastic about it, which is not my natural state of being, no. as you will know. I think that's um, what's making me so desperately yeah. uncomfortable. I mean, I, I think it's a remarkable piece of television and actually the more I sit with it, the more I think that. We were talking about this the other day and, and it's, it's kind of strange because it's something that... It's arguably the best telly of the year. Mm. Has had a certain amount of buzz, but also kind of hasn't as well. Yeah. And we were talking about the difference when something still lands mm. on linear TV, like a Killing Eve, where there is still a certain amount of buzz at which peaks at a certain time, builds, and you get the sense of people watching collectively en masse. Mm. And Haunting of Hill House is, is one of those weird things and it's not necessarily a criticism of Netflix, but it's an interesting wrinkle when you kind of look around you and people are in such different places with the show, either haven't watched it, it's on their watch list, they're halfway through, they've got the, all the way through, that it's really hard to have a, a kind of compelling conversation right, with a number of people or feel that there is this mass around it when actually... I mean, I know they don't release viewing figures, but you must imagine it's one of their most popular yeah. things of the year. But Netflix have this weird sort of corporate bashfulness, don't they, where they have these amazing things and they go, oh, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just leave that over there and see if anyone sees it. We'll just leave it on the table. Whereas when Sky Atlantic have Game of Thrones coming out, I mean, you know winter is coming in fucking spring. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like they don't mess about. They tell you. Mm. But Netflix, they just, they just place it there and then they walk away. I guess it's such a it's for, for, for those of us brought up on normal television, so to speak, it feels like a weird model, Netflix, because they don't have to do that because they don't yeah. have advertising. Yeah. And yeah. then it, all they need is people to keep keep paying on their monthly subscription. Yeah. So I think it seems weird to us. I don't think it seems weird to, maybe to younger people. I think they kind of don't really give to a shit about that. The youth. The youth. youth. I'm gonna, I, I am in touch with the youth, you know. And, um, <laughs> That's what I always think about you, boys. Yeah. Voice of oh, the yeah. youth. Finger on the knob. <laughs> I am. <laughs> what knob? Steady. Um, but, I, but I agree with you in that it's slightly irritating that, yeah, this great thing, this thing that is up, definitely up there in the top two or three series of the year, even compared to HBO shows like, I don't know, Sharp Objects, which is, would be in my top three roughly, mm. it doesn't feel like it's had that much of an impact because you just don't know. Because people are, like you right now, arriving at it at a completely different time yeah. to everyone else. And it is weird and annoying and frustrating. It's like these two um, technologies combining. Like, we're all talking about TV on social media when it's happening in front of our eyes live, and that's really exciting. And yet, the technology of streaming mm. services means we're all watching it at different times, and it's, it's weird. Well, and the thing I want to... Um talk about that I'm watching mm. kind of goes against that which is the Louis Theroux the right. second part of the Louis Theroux yes. documentary Altered States um, which was on BBC on Sunday evening and I actually missed it and I could see it kind of exploding on my Twitter so Monday night as soon as I got home from work I immediately made sure it's the first thing I watched and I have to say I was quite critical of the first episode on this very podcast the one about um, polyamory um, but I have to say this one which was on essentially assisted dying um was one of the most uh, empathetic and affecting documentaries I've seen. Now, now in this years. is because suicide is a term you shouldn't use, isn't it? I know this because I'm a trained mental health first aider. So, oh God! There you go. Oh God! Yeah. So <laughs> if anybody's got any mental health issues, yeah. do, do write call to me James and I'll sort out for you. Bauer in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Literally anywhere in the world. I'll help you out. But it is. But it. What was so interesting about it? I mean, he's he's always done that amazing thing of, of presenting people's stories without necessarily be, being seen to be. Judgmental yeah. or interfering, or you know, and there's obviously that whole thing about documentary journalism where it's your job to present the story, not interfere. And it it was amazing because it shows people in different predicaments and different circumstances. It's it's not all people who are in the final throes of a terminal illness, although there is a story in there, a guy called Gus and his family, which 
was just completely left me broken. Mm. I mean, it's a, it's. I still think this documentary series has a kind of a loose thematic thread. It's it's oh, yeah. three things about life in America, from what I can tell. But this one, I have to say, is among his best, and it ranks up there with the anorexia documentary that I spoke about the other week. I have a question. Yes. Why is it not called Through the Looking Glass? Because he's not a twat. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Boyd, what are you watching? I wanted to mention um, last Sunday's, not the one just gone, last Sunday's Doctor Who. Um, we're now, <gasps> yeah, Sorry. kablam. Sorry. <laughs> That's a good reaction. I wasn't expecting that. That was a live that reaction. That was great, yeah. Because um, it was my favourite of the series so far. It was so great. And it was, it was like a, it was set on a kind of Amazon-type planet, as in Amazon, the, the not delivery like Prime. company. Yeah. And it was kind of like a satire on that whole world. It was a whodunit. It was a really effective whodunit. Julie Hesman-Hauge from Broadchurch and Doctor Who was in it, and she's always fa- fantastic. So it was just... And it's surprised, And they've got to the point now on Doctor Who, and this happens every series, where because they're still finishing the episodes, I don't get to see them very much in advance, which annoys me. So I watched mm-hmm. that live as it went out on Sunday night, and I thought it was so great. So Doctor Who still... Oh, and I'll tell you what, I, sh- I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to... It made me... Never want to order from Amazon or a, <laughs> or a company similar to Same. Amazon ever yeah. again because it was so modelled on that is whole this, culture. Is this the, the, the can warehouse. you say modern slavery? Yes, yeah, yes, basically. yes. It yeah. is the uh, you know robot comes up and tells you to stop having social discourse and get back to work, and you you're yeah. you're kind of uh, a lot of toilet break of X minutes yeah. and. It was such. It was so dark, but it was classic Doctor Who, and I just yeah. thought Jodie Whittaker's before. I mean, I just felt like she stepped it up another level mm, entirely. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like it, yeah, completely blew me yeah, away. That series say. just keeps getting better. Totally, and better. yeah, I'm loving it. So there's. That. I'm also going to mention a podcast. Oh, this is weird. Is it this one? No. What are you doing? So Origins. You know, do you ever, have you heard Origins? And the series, the first series, that was all about Kirby enthusiasm. It's like an oral history in podcast form of Kirby enthusiasm. The new series is about Sex and the City. Ooh. Yeah, and it is fantastic. So every single person involved in the creation of Sex and the City, except for Kim Cattrall, who didn't <laughs> want to take part, funnily enough, because ah. she says she said all there is to say about her experience of sex. But everyone else is, is, talks through every single step of the way of creation of Sex in the City, it reminds you that, A, it arrived just before The Sopranos on HBO and was even more of a big risk for that, for, for, for HBO, which was then known for boxing and softcore porn. And it was a massive thing for them and, you know, kind of, and, and how brave and bold it was for everyone to create this thing about four women in New York, how raw and gritty it was to start with, yeah. as opposed to what they ended up with. And you get things like Chris Noth, who played Big, slagging off the films in the most brilliantly honest, unfettered manner. True, though, comments. I loved the news stories that came. I didn't yes, realise it was based stories. on a podcast. Yeah. There was loads of news stories Absolutely. this week around um, the failure of the third film. Yeah. And around... Yeah, I loved Mr Big's comments. Because... Sorry, Chris North. Mr. Big's the fictional character. Yeah. Because he was bang on the money. Absolutely. Like, bang on the money. Yeah. All of the stuff that was disappointing um, and actually played into loads of conventional rom-com tropes that actually Sex and the City never did. As you said, if you watch... I watched the pilot again the other week. Yeah. The pilot episode of Sex and the City is kind of nuts. It is totally raw. There's all of that um, breaking the fourth wall to yeah, camera yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. that yeah. they abandoned kind yeah. of midway through the first season. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of amazing. And when you kind of look at especially the second film, which you know is incredibly, I think, racist oh, and disgrace. just offensive yeah. on every level. Mm-hmm. You, the you, the journey is really interesting. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So all those news stories came from this this podcast. So it's got it's it's so much juicy stuff in there. And there's a very interesting point. Sarah Jessica Parker makes an interesting point about the sexism of 
all the news stories about them not getting on and not being proper friends. And she says, if you compare it to The Sopranos, for example, no one said to James Gandolfini, are you going, are you socialising with your mates from that show? Which I thought was a really interesting point. And all the way through, there were kind of just things you just didn't realise about how that show worked. And there's the creator and the director of the film, writer of the films, he doesn't seem to realise how terrible they were. And he's still incredibly bitter and twisted that Kim Kutchell wouldn't let him do the third one. He's, and, it's, and just the bitterness and the anger... Just just comes through from these people. You just don't hear, or rarely hear, Hollywood, incredibly successful, big Hollywood people talking with this level of honesty about a, an iconic project. Here's a question. What's your, what's your take on that? Because there's two sides to that, isn't there? There's the Kim Cattrall's really difficult side, and there's the Kim Cattrall was bullied by the other side. Well, well gives, sorry, right? <laughs> sorry, Terry. Who gives a what? <laughs> who gives a fuck? Like, seriously. Excuse my swearing on this podcast. It's very early. But, like... <laughs> Who cares, like, about really ultimately about whether the women fought or the women didn't fight? I'm sure they fought at some point. I'm sure she might be a bit tricky. I'm sure she's a strong woman. I'm sure she had her own contractual negotiations that were kind of deal breakers for her. I'm sure maybe they fell out at some point because they're human beings. Like, like Boyd says, like, nobody has this kind of analysis of men on telly. It's rubbish. Speaking, though, of Fuse, do you remember, like, The Good Wife? when Archie Punjabi and Juliana Mogulis fell out. Oh, yeah. So they used to cut around them, so they would shoot yeah. them separately, even when they shared scenes. You, I, I think that's genius. So basically, after I've just got <laughs> yeah. a massive rant yeah. about how stupid this is, Absolutely. you're just going to keep... I'm doubling down on it. Absolutely. You're going to give more examples <laughs> oh, yes. of women we'll fighting on television. Fighting on TV. Yeah. Oh, women, eh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> come on, Boyd, help me out. Give me two men on a, on a show who didn't like each other. I mean, there's loads of double acts throughout history who didn't really get on that well. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, so many particular. I mean, I'm not even going to name them. Yeah, Men, male double acts. I, I can't. I can't think of many where they really did get on that well in terms of, especially the comedy ones. Mm. They often usually end up hating each other, and you get like, vague stories about those things, but not in not in the same way you do about this. this but it, show. I, I think and I think every every single long running TV show. As far, you know, I'm, this is a mad, mad generalisation. It's going to have issues where people fall out. Yeah. And, you know, mm. like... It's a long-term relationship. It's a lo- it's exactly, yeah. It's almost impossible. How, you know, the, and yeah. how hard they work. She talks about this. So Jessica Parker particularly talks about how hard they worked on Sex and the City. You know, filming that you know, an American TV series with that level of ambition. In the end, they were making little half-hour indie, indie films every week because it got I mean, it became a huge phenomenon. So it's, it's impossible to say without falling out with each other to some extent or just having mm. big disagreements. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with her on this one. I don't think... I don't think it's it's weird and unusual there were these forms. Yeah, out. I do think you're probably right. And from a media perspective, people will probably focus on and publicise the it's that trope, isn't it, of females fighting on the set. Whereas actually the men probably hate each other as well, but just no one cares. But it's more how honestly you got this Chris Knoth is the I mean at one point Chris Knoth, slightly lacking in self awareness, slags off how the fashion in the show took over and he's really got gets really annoyed by it's all about these shoes and that just I'm like, Chris, you know, that was a massive element yeah. of how why the I was really, really became a phenomenon. And he's like just irritated by all them wondering, bothering about the dresses too much. Honestly, it's endless joy. This wow. Too many shoes, too much too about New shoes. York. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's like. Yeah. Well, good podcast recommendation. And speaking of podcasts, I would like to take a minute before we get on to news to uh, thank those of you who have gone onto iTunes and left us five-star reviews. I would especially like to thank uh, some of the people like, for example, Mr. Loiter, who gave us five stars and the following review. Terry White is great. James Dyer is acceptable. He enunciates like a Disney villain, but he's okay. <laughs> At least thanks, you get a mention in that. Thanks, one. I'm Mr. Just ignored. Who, I mean, I, I, who do you think I am? Who That's do you think a, he means? 
Uh, which Disney villain? Yes, I like to think it's it's sort of Scar from The Lion King, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm I surrounded mean, by idiots. There are similarities. You have yeah. No idea. Yeah. Uh, that's me. I like to think. I've got another one here. Here we are. Five stars, and the subject is: I live for Terry White. You see the theme here. I love the Empire podcast as well. I've listened to all of them. So I love TV I, uh, so much, I was excited. The only thing I don't like is James Dyer. <laughs> he can get so negative and mean about TV and film. I don't think any critic who has never made a film before should be as mean as he is. I mean, he's got a point. Yeah. But Terry White saves it. Of course, I miss my man Chris here. Oh, we won't talk about him. <laughs> Sorry, Boyd, you didn't get mentioned that no, one either. Chop well, liver. This, no, this you're like, the, you are the classic cola bottle. Everybody <laughs> likes you. No one has yeah, any but complaints. I, I think not to be, to be ignored is, what's the, there's a, there's a, there is a quote about that, isn't there? About being ignored. You I think? don't know what it is. You'd rather, so they hate wild, me. something about being. <laughs> they love Terry and they're just indifferent yeah. to you. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, exactly, yeah. Huge waves of indifference. I don't, I don't get, I'd rather be hated, I think. Really? Yeah. I don't know, I'm not loving this. I actually, We're like the sugar babes. <laughs> yeah, we are. Did, it, did you ever watch? Did you ever watch yeah, the Lenny no, Henry did show? You, I'm sorry. Yeah. Did anyone hear that reference? <laughs> yeah. Sail over James yeah. Dyer's head. What, what's a sugar baby? This is another Who pick and mix the reference. Yeah. <laughs> did, now, now, Boyd, I think you're going to know. that Lenny Henry show. Do you know what I'm talking about? Delbert Wilkins. Yes. I said Delbert Wilkins. Yes. I know. <laughs> My binary reference points. I, I can have heard of Lenny and, and I can have heard of the Sugar Bay. Hang on. A, A, I know you know about this because we've discussed it before. I'm finding out if Boyd knows oh, about okay. it. I'm not yes. persecuting you. I know you know who Delbert Walken is. Okay, so, right, fine. Lenny Henry had this show in the 80s. Lenny Henry show. He played a character called Delbert Wilkins, who was a pirate DJ for the Brixton Broadcasting Corporation. And there is a, a part where, while frankly, going undercover at a cricket match to sabotage Constable Lily. You don't need to know about that. He has to go off mic, off air, and Winston, his long-suffering assistant played by Vaz Blackwood, takes over. And Winston is actually really good at it, and he gets loads of positive feedback. But he gets oh, yeah. fake reviews left by Delbert. And the reason Winston knows it's Delbert is because he goes, because Delbert, you write your name just like you say it in capital letters, Delbert Wilkins. <laughs> and I think these reviews are written by fucking Terry White. That's what, what? I'm saying. What? You have done My this. God. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Terry White is great. I live for Terry White. This is you. This is propaganda. <laughs> I know what this is. Me? This is fake news. I don't know what's better, that theory or the fact that you explained it with a Delbert Wilkins. A <laughs> <laughs> comparison that is quite remarkable. One of the great injustices <laughs> that is of the, the uppermost era. in your mind is the Delbert Wilkins. <laughs> One of the great injustices of the modern era is that the Lenny Henry show from that era is not available on, on oh, DVD, sure. let alone Blu-ray. I never expected to hear these words. Well, an era of fake news and many contemporaneous <laughs> reference yeah. points. Yeah. James Dyer goes, yeah. it's just like yeah. the Lenny yeah. Henry show. I mean, not yeah. like Amazon reviews written no. by fake people, which is what everyone else would think of. <laughs> so, you know, it's yeah. fucking Delbert Wilkins. Funny you mentioned Delbert Wilkins and that character, though. I did want to mention People Just Do Nothing is the other thing I'm watching at the moment, which is brilliant. The yeah. faux documentary about the... Uh, oh, but modern day Deborah Wilkins is basically really it's brilliant. It's on BBC Two Mondays. It's fantastic. Oh, Carry on. That's a good segue. Good yeah. thing. Oh, I just see. remembered. I meant to mention it. It's yeah. almost like we planned this. Stuff. It is almost right. Let's get on to news. Um, I had a look at news this week, and it's only Thursday, so we'll probably miss all the big stuff. But mm. who saw anything exciting? Reboots. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's being rebooted, Terry? <laughs> Northern Exposure. And Is it? Tales of the Unexpected. Yeah, I mean, that, the latter I'm excited about. How can you not be excited by Northern Exposure? Well, because I don't want them to reboot that, whereas I think Tales... Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, so yeah. And, and so Rob Morrow is back, which okay. is the important point. He yeah. obviously played Dr. Joel Fleischman. What's he playing? <laughs> Who's he playing now? 
He's playing an older Dr. Joel Fleischman. So it's not a reboot, it's like a continuation. Well, (laughs) (laughs) he's also an executive producer because apparently that's what you always have to do when you come back these days. Um, I mean, but it's one of those things, right? And we wrote about this in Pilot and we wrote about the fact that it was like gone too soon. It lasted for five years, right? 1990 to 1995. Won something like 56 Emmys, was hugely successful in that short period. I mean, how they bring it back, I think the basic premise, all we know so far is he returns to the town for a funeral and that's pretty much the only thing we know. It's one of those things that either it should be left very well alone or actually, who knows, maybe in this day and age it could actually have a second narrative burst. But Tales of the Unexpected is (laughs) what I'm more excited about. Oh, I'm excited about that. Which we know next to nothing about apart from it's the Ink Factory, right? He did um, Mm. Night Manager and recently Little Drummer Girl. This was Roald Dahl's Twilight Zone, essentially, wasn't it? Yes, yes. And basically, it's it's the writing team from Behind Night Manager and Little Drummer Girl, and they're going to come up with some new episodes. I mean, it so reminds me of my childhood, oh, totally, right? Yeah. They're like, yeah, the title sequence was like, brilliant. Terry is doing the title sequence. Terry's visualizing the title sequence, which is always great. Naked Oh yes, brilliant theme tune. Yeah, incredible. Tales of Unexpected was for but was. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh my god, I remember it so ever. well. Ever? Yeah. Well, I mean, so it started in '79, didn't it? And I, but genuinely, I don't think I've seen it. I just, when, when was it on? Well, I remember it in the '80s when I okay, was. Okay, but, but but when I as think in, it started what? in the late '70s, I think. No, no, I, I don't that. mean in the oh, grand oh, oh, spectrum mean, oh, of I history. I mean, literally, yeah, on like, was it on a Wednesday night? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, when was it on? <laughs> Who remembers that? I think it was on. I. Boys, like, I used to stream it. I wanted to say Sunday night, but I just think that's because. Everything in my childhood seems to happen on a Sunday night. Do you, see, so just one of my most my sort of salient TV memories is, and I don't know if you had this, is going to bed, like going to sleep on a Sunday night, and my grandma would be watching TV downstairs. So I was intimately familiar with like the theme tune to things like Highway and like the sound of songs of praise filtering. Actually, that was quite early. I'd have been going to bed at about five o'clock. But do you know what I mean? It'd be things like like things like Emma Dale and Crossroads. These are the sort of like the theme tunes to my going to sleep in the childhood. They weren't on on a Sunday night. Well, okay, on other days. I don't know. But <laughs> those kind of shows, you know, the shit that, that you know, people used the to watch. The popular shows yeah. that the people watch. Yes. <laughs> the popular shows that the people watch, yes, those. Anyway, it ran from 1979 to 1988. Mm. Um, I'm trying to find out if it was a Sunday night. But it was It was like those, every every episode, well, every episode tried to have this twist ending, which I loved. Yeah. And it, it really kind of, and some of there were some incredible little gems. It was definitely had that, they were kind of creepy, weren't mm. they? A lot of them yeah. had this kind of slightly nasty edge to them and I feel like inspired by Roald Dahl himself who was quite slightly creepy and nasty himself yeah I'm, I'm not a fan of Roald Dahl no oh. but you see I think you'd like them because they, yeah, they share DNA they even share DNA with things like the Coen brothers like oh, actually yeah. you could make an analogy between the Ballad of Buster Scruggs and wow. Tales of the oh, Unexpected please do <laughs> <laughs> But they're amazing little vignettes and they do and they have this and boys right, every single one has this kind of weird twist or or you're wrong footed in some way. As a piece of storytelling, they were great. And and as any kind of anthology series, which essentially is what it was, some would be great and yeah. some would not be so great. Yeah. But some little real gems. And Charlie um, Brooker talks about it as the inspiration for uh, Black Mirror a lot. Oh. When if you mm. he, he always mentions Sales Unexpected because it was a big thing when he was growing up. So I'm excited by any any Getting good people to write and star in and create new stories with great twists, I think, is exciting in that anthology. Proper format. weird tell. I mean, yeah. that's what everyone forgets about Tales of the Unexpected. Yeah. 
proper weird, weird telly weird, yeah. on linear telly. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember Thriller? Do you remember that show, Thriller? ITV had a no. series called Thriller, which was an anthology show, which had a different weird story every week. You'd have loved that as well. Monsters. There were a lot of these shows, anthology shows in the, in the 70s and 90s. I think that, that may be the problem. So I watched The Outer Limits. By that, I mean the rebooted Outer Limits, not the original run Outer Limits. Yeah. Uh, but I don't... I, li- I like long-form storytelling. Like, stuff that's that short, like fire and forget stuff. I like leaves me cold. storytelling. <laughs> no, I do. Compass. I know. I, look, I'm a TV twat. I'm the first to admit it. But it's one of the reasons I never got on with shit like CSI and procedural stuff. Like, I don't like what I call promiscuous oh, television. Oh, so you don't like Story of the Week programmes of any I kind? I hate it. Any of them? No, because it's like, it's, like, it's, it's the one-night stand of TV watching. It's like, once done, no. you know, you pull your boxer shorts on, you're out in the morning. Well, that isn't true Can't because be I've it. watched every episode of Law & Order's Special Victims Unit twice. Well, yes, so that's, that's because true. you're a TV slut. <laughs> I, I like committed relationships with my shows. I need to be in a loving, long-term, you know, thing. So you're mm. getting your emotional needs met by television? But, well, I mean, aren't we all? Well, mm. yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> right. right. And segueing nicely into what I can only describe as True Blood the Musical, which apparently is a thing really? that's happening. Yes, oh. this is, Alan Ball has been talking about this. It's been 10 years since uh, True Blood started on HBO, which ran for seven seasons, uh, and it ended in 2014 uh, with an episode that was, let's be honest, not very good. Um, but it is being re- resurrected for the stage, uh, which is, oh, right. I think stage we all agree, not... quite okay. unexpected. Oh, okay. So Alan Ball talked about this. I think he spoke to a Hollywood reporter about it, and he said, uh, they're workshopping a True Blood musical. I've heard all the music, and it's actually pretty good. pretty good whoa yes it tells the story of vampires coming out of the closet and and the sort of a love story that ultimately I think deviates from sort of Charlene Harris's uh, series because obviously the two is based on her books uh, the southern vampire series um and that's a thing that's happening. I mean, I love True Blood when it started. That's the thing that's happening. Yeah, that is the thing that's, that's all happening. News, all the news is that's the thing that's happening. <laughs> it's the thing that's happening. I won't be going to see it. But, like, True Blood was really good right up until it really, really wasn't. Like, did you pers- persevere to the end? I did persevere. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. M- or more from a sense of, I don't know, I felt I should ca- I've given it lots of years of my yeah. life. Well, I should that, carry on. It's yeah. the poker so analogy, like, isn't it? Yeah. Like, the poker analogy, like, when you play poker, they always say, like, once your money's in the middle, it's not your money anymore. So you don't put good money after bad. And I think it's you should apply that to television. Just because you've invested, just, no, bear just, with me. Just, just accept. Just go it. with it. Any any analogy that doesn't involve Delbert Wilkins, yeah. I'm, I'm with right. today. So if you're playing poker with Delbert Wilkins and all your money goes into the middle of the pot and Winston raises, you don't necessarily match Winston's bet because that money in the middle is no longer yours. So if you've invested 70 hours into House yeah. of Cards and there's one episode left, don't think I might as well watch the last episode because I've wasted 70 hours of my life. Think I could save one hour. I'm going down to the pub. No, I don't I like the yeah. most unconvincing part of that story is that James Dyer goes to the pub. Hey, hey lads. <laughs> hey lads, who's on for a pint down the boozer? <laughs> you say you say I can pull that off. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that. I have to persevere. I've got to watch to the end if I've spent 70 hours watching something. Yeah. And then go down the pub. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Do you want another bit of news? Yeah, I've, got, hit me with I've it. got a little bit of news. If it new, doesn't involve is, Lenny Henry, I'll be no, very No, it doesn't involve Lenny Henry, which is that The Good Place, which obviously trendy people like you, James <laughs> and me, are watching on Netflix week by week yes. now, season three. Season one is coming to E4, so everyone can watch it. If, I was thinking when I saw this bit of news, I think, oh, I should mention this on the podcast. Uh, Susan one starts on Thursday, Thursday the 13th of December, so E4 is going to show it every week. And I'm thinking, I think there are a lot of people out there who haven't watched the show. You're saying, what you're saying, it's coming to the masses, like yeah. the non elites the, can yeah. now 
you know, I haven't join seen us. it. Right, there yeah, you go. So people right. like you, Terry, exactly. can yeah. now watch The Good Place. Yeah. So I just think people, oh, people have go, oh, I'm not going to, you know, I'll get to it sometime, especially stuff on Netflix. I think people go, yeah. I'll get to that. That's how I feel. Yeah. It's been on my watch list right. for months. So it's going to be on every week on E4, and I think it's, I think it'll do really well. And it's interesting, I, I bumped into someone from Channel 4 the other day, we got onto the subject of Outlander, which we kind of, of, course, of course mentioned briefly the other day, and she was telling me that Outlander on more four is a massive hit. It's not a so even though they show it a year after it went out, well, on, wherever, on Amazon, or whatever in the yeah. UK and whatever channel it's on in America, it does incredibly well on more four. You know, the the, the, the kind of free to air version. Well, the of books it. are massive. The Annika Belden's books are. But huge. it's more that people still watch stuff. There's loads of people who still watch stuff and aren't sign up to Netflix and haven't got yeah. Sky Atlantic. Blah blah blah. So civilians. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. So E4. The Good Place from Thursday, December thirteenth. I have a question for you, Boyd. Are you up to date with The Good Place? No, no. See, I'm a few weeks behind. Yeah, yeah. So you're in a, you're in a, you're in a what I would describe as a rough patch. Like it's been a phenomenal yeah. show, and that it hit a bump. Right. I think about four weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there were two episodes in particular that I thought were not good or funny, and I've worried that the series had taken a turn. It has since rallied. Oh, good. So okay. I would say when you hit the speed bump, you know, press okay. on. I think uh, as Delbert Wilkins um, would. I mean, we should remember, you know, it's a mainstream American network comedy. Yes. So because yes, people treat it like it is, you know, like a Game of Thrones style mm. thing with all this, because it does have a lot of twists and it does, yeah. narrative turns. But essentially, at heart, it's a big mainstream, and big mainstream American sitcoms have moments where they aren't, aren't so brilliant every single week. It's yeah, hard to yeah, maintain yeah. that level of quality. Especially so with this one, which reinvents itself over yeah. and over again. I have yeah. endless respect for network TV shows that do that because, you know, network executives are famously kind of risk averse and they don't like to mess with a winning formula. Exactly. And I remember the first time that kind of threw me. Do you remember Alias when it first came yeah. in? I think it was the beginning of, I want to say season three. It could have been season two. I can't remember. But it starts with, I remember the episode very clearly. It starts with Jennifer Garner in her underwear Walking onto a plane. Shop. No, no, wait. And then the guy she's walking towards says, I prefer the red or the black, or whatever. So she goes, she changes into different colour underwear and does exactly the same sequence. So I do remember this episode. Oh. But this this episode, they changed the whole format of the show on its head. Like everything you thought to be true wasn't. And the show became something, well, let's not be honest, it wasn't that different, but they changed the rules in that yeah, one. Yeah. And I was like, that's really bold. And they don't do that enough in network telly. Think about, I've <laughs> got really high picture. Think about. <laughs> Buffy, the musical episode. Oh, yeah. One more time yes. with feeling. Like those but incredible. Yeah. That was that was that was a great episode, but yes. it wasn't like they fundamentally changed the fabric of what Buffy was. Although I would argue they did that with Dawn, and I still don't understand why they did that. The kit fuck off the key. Why do you need a fucking <laughs> imaginary sister oh. to just rock up for no reason and you know be what? bland? That is pretty much on a par with Ali McBeal having a secret daughter <laughs> that she throws her eggs and it accidentally became a child. Yeah. Dawn appearing as the key as a full grown tedious person is on a par with that but what that's the whole thing is that she was tedious it's like if you're going to introduce a character like Anya the Avengers demon was amazing like she was a brilliant uh, a brilliant uh, addition to it like in Angel you remember when they turned Fred into a demon Mm -hmm. again Fred a really shit character made brilliant because they suddenly turned her into a demon yep it's possible we've got (laughs) sidetracked yeah Last Maybe. bit of news, I will say, well, last bit of news I have, you may well have more, but no. uh, Marvel's no. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been renewed for season oh, yeah. seven. Is that still going ABC. on? Yeah, great. Well, but, Can't wait to watch it. No, but see, this is a legitimate <laughs> response because that's how most people felt. Um, that people, They felt like they'd kind of given up on this show and that he'd disappeared. And even Joss Whedon had pretty much said that the uh, sixth season... Uh, which is about to start, was probably, possibly, maybe going to be the last. And he said they would find a way to kind of make it satisfying if it was. But it is getting a seventh and final uh, 13-episode run, which is going to return in the summer of 2019. (laughs) Woohoo! So there you go. 
So if you want your small screen goodness, then, you know, that's it. Did you, are you, are you still watching it? Oh, God, no. I watched the first episode and got bored. <laughs> but, first episode. But, but Chris Lupton from the Empire Office swears by it and thinks oh, it's great. Yes, he does. Oh, he, really? keeps pushing, uh, he keeps pushing this as a uh, uh, news agenda for Empire. Yeah. What, Agents and of S.H.I.E.L.D. still alive. <laughs> so that's news. Anyone else? Any more for any more? No, that is it. They're, yeah, all the that's news it. will arrive as soon yeah. as we finish recording this podcast. Yes, so I'm sure there's loads of other news that happened after we recorded it. But let us move on now to reviews. Now... Before we do, I need to preface this section by making a slight confession. Oh, here we go. You may see this coming. I've not seen any of the shows. <laughs> oh, James. However, so I am relying on you two to do the heavy lifting. Now, now, while this is, of course, hugely unprofessional, I will caveat it by saying that I had every intention of watching them all. Oh, uh, that's all but right. Then, but then I watched the first episode of Hill House and it all went to shit. So I think we can all agree that I, I'm basically blameless and the fault can be laid at the feet of Mike Flanagan. And I think I think we can all be on board oh, with, okay. with that. Yes? Yeah. Excellent. So, <laughs> among the shows I've failed to see, we have Jim Carrey starring as children's entertainer Mr. Pickles in Kidding. Not just kidding. Just, just, just kidding. Uh, which has finally arrived on our shores via the medium of Sky Atlantic. Yes, I can start on this. So this is um, this is a show that, as you said, went out a while ago on um, Showtime in America. It's directed by Michelle Gondry, the film director who made Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind with Jim Carrey. It's I suppose the most interesting thing about it is Jim Carrey, the latest Hollywood iconic actor doing television, yep. doing kind of quality peak television. And this is like a, I think it's an eight part series, and it is does feel like a top-level independent film told over in that format, told as a kind of deep-dive TV show. It's... I know the, I hate the phrase dark comedy, but it is the bleakest, darkest <laughs> of comedies because it's about... He plays a very famous American children's TV entertainer um, who's going through the fact that one of his twin sons was killed in a horrendous car crash. And you see, and this isn't a twist, this is the... This is explored in the first episode. So in the, the first episode, you meet him. He's behaving weirdly, not just because he's Jim Carrey's character. <laughs> um, and you see him kind of in his professional life. And he wants to do his, uh, his father is his kind of like manager and producer. And he wants to do a special episode of his hugely successful kids TV series, which is just kind of like a Sesame Street style show mm. with puppets. And he wants to do it about death. Of course, and of course, it's a bit weird, and then you find out why he wants to do that. It's because everyone's mourning the loss of his teenage son. So it's incredibly bleak on one level, and yet it is funny. It has got a kind of Larry Sanders-esque quality to it. Like, it opens with him, Jim Carrey's character, on the Conan O'Brien show, and real Conan O'Brien playing himself, interviewing him. So it's got that kind of behind-the-scenes American... Um, TV quality mm. to it. I think um, fans of American TV will, will like it and love it and be intrigued by it, as I was. I'm not... I, I'm sl- there's something about it that doesn't quite work for me. I feel it's like it's like some Michelle Gondry films, apart from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is brilliant. Mm. I found a lot of his films subsequent after that have been a little bit self-consciously quirky. Yeah, I agree. And this is a bit self-consciously quirky as a whole. And I just think that's his thing. And if you, if you can't get beyond that, you might find it deeply irritating. But oh. I was moved by it because I think... And the best thing about it is Jim Carrey's performance. So Jim Carrey, if you, if you, this is not wacky, zany Jim Carrey. This is soulful, kind of quite difficult Jim Carrey. And he makes this character feel like a fully rounded individual. And I think it's really interesting to see behind, you know, that behind the kind of surface of a children's TV presenter is kind of, I guess, the initial idea of it. I think, I think it's fascinating. So I'm going to carry on watching it. It's been shown in double bills every week on Sky Atlantic from Thursday at 10.40. And I liked it. And I think it's interesting. It's not, I mean, I didn't love it, but I'm still intrigued. Very good. But I think I'm the only one who's seen it. 
Yes, because we we I will say in your defence, even though you probably yeah. don't realise this, we didn't get the links until mm. last night. That's so it's Boyd's fault. Excellent. So, no, well. it's the CBS studio that makes it in America's yeah. fault and Showtime for not sending us and Sky for not getting it to us quickly enough. Well, there, there you go. go. Uh, next up, we have the BBC's Mrs. Wilson, which sounds to me, from reading the synopsis, like it shares a lot of DNA with strangers. Do you think this is fair? As in, or, or should I say, a really superficial setup that's similar yeah. to strangers? Very superficial. It's not set in Hong Kong, it doesn't star John Sim, but other it's set in the present day. Basically yeah. the same show. Um, so, this is um, Ruth Wilson bizarrely playing her own nana, um, <laughs> which, okay. which essentially is my pitch for the show. Um, so, it's a three-part BBC drama um, based on a real-life story, as I say, about her nana and her granddad. Um, and you meet her, the couple immediately, and it kind of plunges you straight in, essentially, to this... You meet this married couple... And he dies immediately. This is not a spoiler. It happens within the first five minutes of the show. He dies of a heart attack. Um, and it's about basically her discovery that he's got multiple wives. I think he's married for, he was four-time bigamist in the end. He had seven kids. Um, and it follows um, uh, one of his wives, Alison McKelvey, which is the person Ruth Wilson plays, as she basically tries to uncover this secret life of him. Now, it's re what's really interesting about the show is I've read loads from Ruth Wilson around this. They still don't really know what happened and who he was. So they've, they've said he was a novelist and he definitely published books. He was a spy. That seems true to some extent. They actually met as a couple when they both worked at MI6 during the war when he was married. He essentially kind of reinvented himself, moved his names around, went by his middle names in places and married four women. Um, and somehow successfully managed to not make them all aware that he was essentially had four wives. He was living with Ruth Wilson's grandmother when he died, um, which I'm guessing kind of is one of the reasons she's the pivot point of the story. Now, I didn't love this, I have to say. So I am a huge fan of Ruth Wilson. I have to just like get that out. I think I loved the affair. I think she is a remarkable actor. I think what she does amazingly is kind of um, barely expressed anger and misery, really. She wears her emotions on her face like I think very few actresses actually do. And I think she's a phenomenal actor, but I didn't love this. I found it quite a traditional, slightly plodding, at times quite awkward BBC drama. It felt very old school BBC. And I think in terms of the output that's um, around us at the moment... It didn't feel like it was doing anything particularly interesting. I kind of found it quite compelling. I watched the first two episodes, but I found it a bit of a slog. And quite frankly, if I wasn't having to sit here and talk to you people about <laughs> you it this morning, I, would have, I wouldn't have you carried people. on. <laughs> you people. <laughs> well, that's a recommendation. I have a question. So it's basically, it's starring Ruth Wilson. Yes. It's based on her nana. Yeah. And yet she's sixth build on IMDb. <laughs> what is that all about? Yeah. Well, it's about IMDb. Second build yeah. here. And it's, her, and it's her story, essentially. Yeah. And she's God spent years, she has spent years getting this project together. Yeah. Like, it's, it's taken quite a while um, to get it going and to get it to get it made. I, I, I have to say, I completely agree with you. I was disappointed. I was, I was really, I've been excited about this since, I think we mentioned in the first issue of Pilot TV, and when they announced it, just they announced it was finally going ahead because you'd heard stories about her, this extraordinary situation with her grandmother. The grandmother wrote, I think, a memoir about it. Yeah. So it's a really interesting, they've t for me, I think what, what's happened is they've taken an extraordinarily intriguing story about a man's double life, and they've, I think they've felt, they've got to stick to what they know almost. Mm. And so it doesn't feel, it feels very 
almost too grounded in yeah. reality. And as you say, it feels very traditional. The storytelling is very traditional. I mean, it flushes back to to the period when they met in the in the etc. But apart from that, it's it's very linear. And nothing, it just feels unsurprising. It's, so, ve- it's very dour. I found it yeah. so dour. I mean, just from a um, visual perspective. And I understood it initially because he's, I mean, there's a scene where he's dead on the bed and you're like, oh. Yeah. And, it, and it plunges you into this kind of quite morose scene very quickly. And, and it um, kind of, from a filmmaking perspective, it does change when they flash back. It, it suddenly, you'll, you'll, you have a whole new visual palette to play with. But apart from that, I didn't see them take any kind of risks or do any no. kind of adventurous. Yeah. And as you say, it was they it, they really rooted it in the sphere of domesticity and within the context of, as you say, what she knew and and what she was finding out. So actually, the stuff about his his double life and the glimpses you got of um, his behaviour and the weird conflicting stories he told. Actually, you get relatively little of that mm. detail and drama. Yeah. It's like the, they felt the story is so interesting that. The characters don't have to be that extraordinary and interesting because that might detract from it, and the storytelling isn't either, and the and the visually is so it is. It ends up being oddly basic for a, for in this day and age. So mm. I mean, not everything. I, I I'm not one of those people thinks that every single show has to be wildly ambitious no. cinematic, but this feels like they could have gone a step further, made it slightly more. I don't know. Just thought about a way of telling the story in a slightly different way. Some more Vikings, for example. Some but, more Vikings. But, Some more dragons. Even with even with that all said, I just felt like it was ineffective from a storytelling perspective. Yeah, I, exactly. I that's the bottom line. Is yeah. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd I have carried on watching her. it. No. I didn't root for her. Yeah. You, you want to? I mean, this wronged, betrayed yeah. woman who has discovered the last twenty years of her life has been a complete lie, yeah. and you're kind of like meh. Like, you don't feel any of the things you should feel for a woman in that circumstance. Yeah. And as I say, I don't, I really don't um, want to make this about Ruth Wilson's performance because I, I don't feel that's fair somehow. I don't feel like the material she was given really allowed her to explore. You want the inner life of that woman, that, that extraordinary mad situation of finding out your complete life is a lie and the man you thought you knew is a complete imposter. And you don't even get anywhere near the edges of that. Yeah, so you're saying less fun than literally going to Ruth Wilson's Nana's for tea. <laughs> Steady. Right. I mean, maybe. Okay. Uh, finally, finally, this week, we join Jamie Dornan on the Emerald Isle for a period drama in which, and this is true, he plays a charismatic serial killer who climbs into the bedroom window of young women and throttles them while being pursued by a bonnet-wearing Gillian Anderson. That's entirely true, isn't it, Boyd? <laughs> yes, this is Death of the Nightingales, which, um, like the Ruth Wilson, like Mrs. Wilson, is a three-parter. It's a BBC period three-parter. It's weird they've got two BBC period three-parters starting in the same week, but they have. This is on BBC Two from Wednesday. It's written and um, directed by Alan Cupid, who did The Fall. So if you if you watch that show, which is Jamie Dornan, of course, played the psychotic the serial, serial killer, killer. <laughs> and it became quite controversial just how that how that program was made. Yeah, um, this is um, this is adapted from a, a novel by Eugene McKay, which I have to admit I, I didn't know about. It's set in a twenty four hour period in Fermanagh in Ireland in eighteen eighty five, and it's all about this young woman called Beth Winters. On her twenty third birthday, she decides to do something about her life. She's living with her morose, miserable, drunken, very rich stepfather played by the great Matthew Reese from the brilliantly Americans. Yep. Um, and Jamie Dornan is this hot, kind of earthy, farm worker type guy um, who she spots from a window, literally going, oh my God, there's hot Jamie Dornan. I've got to go and talk to him, <laughs> meet him and hang out with him. And they and she does, and romance flourishes. And then it's all about what are they going to do about this horrendous, bullying, nasty man who she lives with and dominates her life. 
I liked it. I, th- I liked it more than Mrs. Wilson. So unlike it's slightly more ambitious, I would yeah. say, in terms of visually, it's got a kind of it's got a kind of dark, gritty quality to it. But again, like Mrs. Wilson, I thought it, was, it didn't. I didn't grip me enough, and so I felt like by the end of it, I don't know. I don't know if I'd carry on watching it if, again if it wasn't for the show. But I liked it while it was on. And I think she's brilliant. So the best thing about it is Anne Skelly, who plays this main character, Beth Mm. Winters. She is, and I haven't really seen much of her, um, but she is fantastic, is the main character. And it's it's an interesting story. You can see why they wanted to do it. I'm not sure if it, if it's gonna if it's gonna be a massive success because I don't feel it is entirely riveting enough. I, in a shocking turn of events, oh. I loved this. Oh, okay. So, really? Yes. So, and I, and it was all because of Anne Skelly, mm. who I just think is remarkable, and Matthew mm. Reese, who I think oh, is great, yeah. incredible in this. This falls into me for kind of in the Wuthering Heights-esque yes. kind of exploration of a young woman's internal life raging with hormones <laughs> and fantasies and madness. And I absolutely like found this intoxicating and um, I was all in on this. Um, I'm with you on that it wasn't perfect by any stretch mm. of the imagination, but she is yeah, remarkable. Fantastic. I was immediately like, who is she? Mm. What's she been in? Where yeah. can I see her more? She is incredible an incredible little actress holds her own against Matthew Reese, who I think is just exceptional. Yeah. Um, and I found her so compelling that that made me want to watch more and more and more. Um, so I would say this one would be for me. the one okay. to watch plus, plus it's got hot, hot Jamie, Jamie Dornan. Yeah, he's not my cup of tea. Really? No. Oh, you would. No. You would? <laughs> no. Absolutely would. Heathcliff is like my dream man. So like, you know. Yeah. I saw Jamie Dornan last night in Robin Hood. I may never recover from that. <laughs> Isn't it weird that he took that role? Just by yeah, the he plays shit Will Scarlet. I mean, it the really cast is of Robin dreadful. Hood is, <laughs> the cast of Robin Hood is incredible. The supporting characters yeah. all played by like. We may be getting A-list. distracted. We have been distracted. <laughs> We've got our topic. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I agree. She is the main. Like, she's definitely the best thing about this. Yeah. This, this this drama. Yeah. So she's if you believe Terry, watch it. If you believe Boyd, watch The Fall instead. No, no, no! I did like it, but it's also it is also my favourite thing of the week. I would say so. I'm with <laughs> to show that, that you literally said no, you wouldn't said... have finished if you didn't have to <laughs> <Yeah>. watch. <laughs> well, but I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to finish kidding either. So you know, I'm not going to finish any of them. Right. So what we're saying is go to the pub this week, <laughs> and possibly you know, with me, and give Death and Night Girls a go. Okay. And that is almost it. So, so if we're gonna, if we're. Gonna... Can we can we find a recommendation? Can we find a definitely nice and girls? I said it wasn't perfect. I've had you know it's got flaws, blah blah blah. But it's still a, it's a good. She's so good. And I don't think I think it is BBC Two. I don't think it will find a massive audience. No. Yeah. But I think it's worth hunting out. So watch it, assuming you've already seen all ten episodes of The Haunting of Hill House. And if you yeah. haven't, then watch that instead. Excellent. Uh, we are done once more. Do feel free to hop over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. You know, while you're over there posting personal insults and, you know, expressing your general distaste for me, that would be fantastic. We are, as ever, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you have something you would like us to discuss, do drop us a line or harass me personally at James C. Dyer. But before we say goodbye to all of you, we would also like to bid a fond farewell uh, to John Harris, uh. our producer editor and pod consigliere who is who is leaving <laughs> us this week to go and work for Acast who do proper podcasts bye John we've bye, John. He's bye waving. John he's been, waving it's been mainly real. because he doesn't have a mic 
So he's just having to mime his. Oh, no, he says he loves you all. He's going to miss us. And this, what, what's that? This, this is the. Oh yeah, this is the best podcast he's ever worked on. There you go. Thank you, thank you, John. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, John. Bye, John. Bye, John. So until we see you next time, don't forget to check out tonight's mid-season finale of The Walking Dead, where we finally encounter Whisper It, the Whisperers. Yeah. That's whisperers, not, you know, whispers, because that would be a very, very different type of TV show. Pilot out. Bye. Bye.